0: Turn me with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, and verses 14 to 30. And I wonder, because you've been sitting down for so long, wouldn't it be good if we all stand together as we, uh, as we read this? I'm not asking you to read it with me, but let's stand as we listen to God's Word. Stretch those legs a little bit, eh? Matthew twenty five fourteen to 30, the parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who'd received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents, for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Heavenly Father, would you open your word up to us and help us to understand the truth contained therein. In Jesus' name, amen. I have to say, I was, um, as we were going through the service, of two minds whether or not to, um, to preach this morning because we have heard so much great stuff, haven't we? What a blessing it's been. Um, but... I really believe, actually, that God's got an important message to say to us, simply because of the word that he's asked me to prepare. So I'm going to risk the clock and go for it. Could we have a slide up, please, Tom? This is probably not the time of year to ask this question. It's the PowerPoint, Tom. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Are you a spender or a saver? Are you the kind of person that very carefully budgets what they spend, very carefully um, knows exactly when money's coming in and going out and will only buy things if you've got enough money to fund it? Or are you the kind of person whose uh, pockets get a hole burnt in them whenever you put money in them? who live for today and worry about tomorrow when it comes. Are you a spender or a saver? When, uh, I don't know if you've been following the autumn statement given by the Chancellor, but when I look at some of the commentary about the state of the finances of this country, I very much feel that as a nation we have completely lost the plot when it comes to managing finances. Just look at that graph that I pulled out. That is a graph of the UK public debt as it has grown since 1900 to 2015. We now owe, as a country, nearly 80% of the whole of our productivity in a year. We owe that. Can you imagine... You know, if you look at your annual income and say, right, I mean, mortgages aside, forget that, because you've got an asset borrowed against that. But that aside, if you owed 80% of your gross annual income, would you feel comfortable? Heck, I don't. But what I want us to look at today is... This passage, but put it in the context, not of worldly economics, but the economy of heaven. Now the background to this story, it's always important to understand the background to a passage. Never take it out of context. This is a, a passage that, uh, where Jesus is talking to his disciples as they met on the Mount of Olives and his disciples said to him, what is it going to be like at the end of the age? What's, what's going to be the signs of your coming again? And Jesus told them a whole load of uh, graphical details. He told them of things to look out for, um, things to pray about. Um, and then he went on to tell a number of parables. Parables about uh, um, being, uh, being sure to wait for that coming, being ready, being prepared, um, uh, the parable of the, uh, the wise and foolish virgins, uh, making sure you've got your lamps trimmed and so on. But they were all parables about his coming and being prepared. And so we come on to this one, this very well-known story about the parable of the talents. Now, first of all, I want to um, kind of put right any... Uh, misconceptions. Because I've heard many sermons on this uh, passage, and a number of them kind of get the message a bit wrong. You see, the trouble is the word talent has a particular meaning in the English language. It means our our gifts. You know, uh, some, Simon's a very talented musician. Uh, we have some very talented craft people at breakfast in Bethlehem. Um, people might have a, a talent for. Um, administration that's not what this passage is talking about a talent in the time that Jesus was uh, um, uh, giving this story was a measure of weight it was a measure of weight used to describe the value of money Uh, a talent was about 35 kilograms and when equated to um, silver or, or gold, a talent equated to about nine years' worth of income for a person. It was a huge amount of money. In today's um, uh, kind of numbers, even with a pretty modest, even maybe minimum wage, a talent would be worth around about 200,000 pounds. So just think, here's this master going on a journey. To one of his servants, he gave five talents. That is nearly a million pounds. And to another one, he gave 400,000. And to the other, he gave 200,000 pounds. This master was a generous master. But why did he give these three servants this money? And what is the real meaning of that Jesus is trying to um, give us behind this story? You see, it was not about, you know, God gives us money. And uh, it's all about how much money you can make. It's all about getting a, a monetary return. Absolutely not. So in saying this is a parable, what did Jesus mean, really, by the talents? So let's see if we can unpack and it. Let's look at what these talents were. First of all, they belonged to the master. Right? We're told that the master came and shared his property. Secondly, they were things that had eternal worth. When the master came back to make a reckoning... The servants took what they had and it was valuable ongoing. And we know that Jesus was talking about his coming and people going to heaven. So it couldn't possibly be money because we know that money has no eternal worth, it has eternal consequences the ones that acted wisely with these talents went on to enter in to his master's joy. And the one that didn't act wisely was thrown out. These were very precious talents. They were worth an awful lot, as I say, a million pounds to the one that had five. The servants were left in charge. The master went off. He didn't tell them what they had to do with it. He didn't give them advice about investing. He went off on his journey. These talents, however, were something that could be invested in. Because the servants did. And the master certainly expected a return on them. Also, notice in the wording that the servants were given varying amounts of talents, each according to their ability. So the expectations and trust are certainly linked to human abilities. And in the case of the third servant, it's clear that there are some that fail to understand the meaning. Of the talents. So, with all that in mind, what on earth can the talents represent? Any clues? Well, let me suggest this it's not money, it's not skills, it is the kingdom of God. Let me explain. The kingdom of God belongs to God, it's his kingdom. It has eternal worth. The kingdom of God will last forever and ever. There are eternal consequences associated with the kingdom of God. We can choose to be in the kingdom of God or we can choose to be outside. The kingdom of God is very precious. In other parables, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being like a pearl of great price, being like a treasure that a man finds in a field and he sells everything that he has to buy that treasure. The kingdom of God is something that we have been left in charge with. When Jesus left to go back to heaven, he gave us a great commission, effectively, to look after his kingdom. In fact, he even said, to his disciples, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. It is our responsibility to look after his kingdom here on earth. It is something that can be invested in. We can choose to invest in ourselves, or we can choose to invest in the kingdom. And for sure, a return is expected. When um, we stand before Jesus... And uh, Arthur looked at this the other week. We'll be challenged on what we did with what we had. The expectations of the kingdom are dependent on our abilities. The Bible says that some are called to be teachers, some are called to be administrators, some are called to be pastors. We're all a given different responsibilities according to our abilities. And some fail to understand it. There are those that actually could come to church the whole of their lives, could hear the message and fail to grasp actually what it's really about. I believe the message behind the talents is all about the kingdom of God and how we invest in it what is our response to that which we've been entrusted with so how can we invest in the kingdom of God just to help right at the end the promise that was given to those that Uh, had invested wisely, the master said, and of course the master is Jesus, he said, come in and share your master's joy. If you invest wisely, then you can share in that joy of heaven. Now, that word joy um, resonates strongly with me, because when I was a very young lad and going to Sunday school, we used to sing a chorus about what the meaning of joy was. And the letters joy stand for Jesus, others, and you. And so the words of the chorus went, Jesus, others, you, what a wonderful way to spell joy. And for me, this is all about our investment strategy, if you like, for the kingdom of God. We're called, in response to the great things that God has given, to invest in Jesus. How do we do that? Well, through our worship, through our prayer, through understanding his will, through understanding his word. In doing all those things, we're investing in our relationship with Jesus, all those three servants had a kind of relationship with their master. They were owned. They all had that chance to respond to the trust that uh, he had put in them. Two of them chose to invest in that. One of them chose not to. What about others? How do we invest in others? We've heard so much about this. And it's really great, Victoria, to hear how Oasis is help, helping invest in others. How do we do that? We invest in others by sharing our faith, by befriending, by looking out for those in need. Are we investing in our society? Are we investing in our community? We need to invest in our families. We need to invest in those around us. We need to mentor, help disciple We need to support people. These are all ways that we can invest in his kingdom in the context of others. And what about you and me? How do we invest in you and me? Well, for me, this is all about our spiritual development. It's about ensuring that we go on that journey of discipleship, earnestly seeking God's gifts and his guidance. That's how we invest in God's kingdom in the context of uh, um, our lives. And if we invest sensibly, we can see the promise there. Come and share your master's joy. Now, just to talk a little bit about the economics of the kingdom, not to dwell too much on kind of earthly investments, but generally there's a perception that the reward that you get from investment is linked to the risk that you take. So if you are investing in a pretty low-risk strategy, you might expect a pretty low return. So a low-risk strategy might be to put your money in a bank. Not well, even that is uh, sometimes risky now, isn't it? <laughs> but generally, it's considered that keeping things in the form of cash is relatively low-risk, but you get shockingly low returns for that. In fact, probably not even returns that keep up with inflation. An example of high risk is maybe playing the stock market in in really emerging markets where there's no uh, certainty at all. And you might get massive returns, but you might lose everything. If you're prepared to risk, you can get good rewards or you can lose everything and I think the economy of this world is pretty stuffed actually and I think that really is a sign of the times that God actually wants his world to know that there is nothing that we can depend on in the physical realm Maybe he wants to bring us to our knees in terms of, um, you know, teaching us to move away from trust in money. But the economies of the kingdom are completely different. Completely different. You see, the monies that these servants were given, it wasn't theirs, was it? It belonged to the master. So they were bearing no risk whatsoever in investing this. They could have lost a lot and it wouldn't have cost them a bean. The risk was totally their masters. But those two servants that were prepared to invest, what return did they get? 100%. That's a pretty good return, isn't it? 100% percent return see I'd be as bold as to suggest that if we are prepared to invest in the kingdom of God God will guarantee a return He says in his word that his word will never return empty there is no risk in investing in God's kingdom It might make us feel a bit silly sometimes if we say something or um, you know step out and do something But at the end of the day, the risk is all God's. So why is it that we're so afraid to invest in his kingdom? We've heard wonderful testimony of how when people step out in prayer, step out in faith, how God delivers 100% of what is needed. Wow. And the other thing I'd like us to note is that both the two servants got a return of exactly 100%. Not 98%. Not 110%. Both of them, exactly the same time, at the time the master returned, they had both achieved 100% return. What does that tell us? It tells me that God's planning is absolutely perfect. And that he will return... Just as the master returned, he will return when the work is done. Who here is looking forward to Jesus' return? I hope that everyone who is born again, who has sought the um, saving redemption of Jesus, is absolutely looking forward to the return of Jesus. Because we live in a bad world, don't we? We must be looking forward to entering into that joy. But Jesus will not come again until the work is complete. Until 100% return has been gained on our investments in the kingdom. What are we doing to invest to usher in that coming? How are we investing? But we mustn't forget the third servant. And this is quite sobering, actually, because this was not just any random person that failed to deliver. This was one of the master's household who completely missed the message. Now, please don't misunderstand that I'm saying that it's possible for people to um, not be, be in God's family and not go to heaven. We're assured in the Bible that Jesus hangs on to us no matter what. But, 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 it is possible to hear the good news. It is possible to live a good life and fail really to understand what it's about, to fail to invest in Jesus, others, and yourself. And this was a warning from Jesus about eternity. It was about hell. And you saw in the passage what happened to this third servant. Even that good news that he'd been given was taken away from him. And he was thrown out where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. A picture of eternity without God. You see, if we approach... Being a follower of God with an economy of the world mindset, your home could be at risk. Just as you see on these adverts about investments, warning, investments could go up as uh, down as well as up, warning, your home could be at risk. If we fail to really understand the message, the transforming message of Jesus, if we fail to invest in our relationship with Jesus, if we fail to invest in his kingdom, then our home could be at risk. God says in his word that there are many mansions in heaven, not just homes, mansions. Jesus said, if it were not so i wouldn't I would have told you God really wants all to occupy a mansion in heaven but if we fail to invest in the kingdom if we fail to invest in our relationship with God our homes our mansions could be at risk so when we invest in the world the risk is ours We could be uh, subject to the vagaries of the economy. When we invest in the world, it counts for nothing. I remember a great uh, uh, story that J. John told on uh, one of his videos, Just Ten, where he was at a funeral and somebody, uh, one of the... uh, um, people who'd come to, uh, to attend the funeral, came up to J. John, who happened to know the, uh, the individual. And he said, um, did he leave much? And Jay John said, what? Did he leave much? He left everything. Did he leave much, he said. Did he leave much? You see, everything that we invest in on earth counts for Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So if you think you've got a good return up to now on what you've done, ultimately, everyone on a worldly level is going to face a catastrophic crash. It is worth nothing. But the investment that the two wise servants had made, not only did they gain a 100% return, but they were told to carry on into the kingdom take them with them use them they had eternal consequences fabulous when we invest in the kingdom it counts for everything now i don't know what your view of heaven is like what do you think heaven's going to be like i guess some people think it's all about kind of ah rest at last lounging on a deck chair by the river of life Endless supplies of drinks. Well, do you know what? It is going to be a really special place. We're promised that there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more homelessness, no more prostitution, no more typhoons, no more debt, no more hunger, no more death. But it doesn't say there'll be no more work. So, sorry, but in heaven, we will all have responsibilities. Just as on earth, we have a responsibility to look after the kingdom. We have the keys of the kingdom. So, in heaven, we have a responsibility to look after the kingdom. And this passage tells us that the master says that if you're proven to be worthy in small things, million pounds, small things, if you're proven to be worthy in small things, then you'll also, how much more will you be entrusted with in heaven? Wow. Phenomenal. But you might think, oh, no, I don't. I'm not really up for going to heaven to work. I want to rest. You know, work as we know it is not what work is going to be like in heaven. Whether you like it or not, we were designed, we were created to work. You look back at Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden. God gave them work to do, and it was great. They loved it. It wasn't until they disobeyed, it wasn't until the fall, that God said, now your work is going to be hard. Now you're going to sweat. Now weeds are going to grow in that garden that you're tending, and it's going to make it hard for you. Now things will go wrong. It's all a result of the fall. When Jesus returns, he's going to put all that right. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the whole dynamic of what we're expected to do, the way we work, the way we worship, will be restored to what it was supposed to be in the beginning. Praise God for that. So, although we'll be expected to work, it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful experience. So, I wonder, as we think about our vision for our church, and as we think about the next stage in working out the strategies that we're going to deploy to achieve that vision, we need to think carefully about how we're going to invest in God's kingdom. What are we going to do? What are we going to invest our time, our gifts, our money in, not to see them grow, but to see God's kingdom grow? I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know what God is calling us right now to invest in. But I do know for sure that the risk is his, that all he wants us to do is be available to step out in faith and to say, God, will you have your way? Will you take the things that we offer and will you yield a 100% return on those for your kingdom? And we've seen how faithful God is, haven't we? Just today, it's been wonderful to hear it. Let us as a church step out in faith. Let's be risk-takers. Let's don't live according to the economy of the world. Let's live according to God's economy. Amen.